Mm-hmm. And even in traditional Chinese medicine, TCM, uh, cancer is just considered stagnation. That's really all it is. And so what you were saying, even going back to the analogy that you had before about the dams, you know, there's no flow through the dams if you're if you're staying still all the time. And especially if you're in the sit, sit it, seated position, think about, you know, your your lower half of your body that is just getting this complete lack of blood flow to it. So it all just kind of makes sense conceptually and we're seeing in the data how it actually impacts us. Hello, welcome to Balance and Moderation. We're a wellness podcast with some personality. Join me, Rob Young, and my friend Sheridan Lee on our pursuit of healthiness in the real world. Big love is the motto and our message is for everyone. So please don't forget to share this with all the beautiful people in your life. Enjoy. Good morning, Miss Cher. Good morning, Robbie. How are you doing today? I am... I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I had a really good night leading into my sleep. So I think I had a really good night of sleep. I didn't have like a full eight hours, but I slept about probably about seven. That's good. And I took kind of shut everything down and I took an Epsom salt bath. And during that time, I just shut off all the lights in the bathroom and I tried to focus on my breathing and it was a really hot bath. So it wasn't like a comfortable bath. I was sweating. Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of, I had to get in a good headspace and really focus on my breathing. And I really I really enjoyed it. It was a little bit harder to get to sleep after that because my body heat was so up and it's impossible for me to take a cold shower at my apartment. Oh, gotcha. But once I did cool down and I I felt like I went out like a rock and I woke up this morning pretty pretty energized and ready to go. Didn't have a lot of sleep inertia. So felt good this morning. That's great. Maybe that's something I should start implementing Epsom salt baths are incredible. They have really high levels of magnesium, and it's in a form that's really bioavailable for the body to take in all of its benefits. And magnesium has a lot to do with helping alleviate muscle tension and strain, both physically and mentally. So whenever I'm kind of in a, a fritz, I will immediately go and take an Epsom salt bath. It was kind of my thing when I was in high school to go home after school and just immediately jump in my parents' bath with Epsom salt because I just needed to decompress from the day. I was overwhelmed. And uh, I think also just from a more spiritual point of view, it helps cleanse from external energies that I had been taking on throughout the day. I think we're all very empathetic beings and we take on stuff that doesn't belong to us. And water in general does a really good job of literally physically and spiritually cleansing you. And the Epsom salt component also helps alleviate a lot of that tension physically and energetically, in my experience. Does it help at all with detox? Do you know that? Because I just feel like, I, I, I guess it was a hot bath, so I was sweating a lot, but I felt like I almost 
just got the toxins out of my system. Just the bad came out. I am not sure a hundred percent, but I would not be surprised if it does help with the detoxification. Yeah, it's probably just the heat and the sweating more than anything. I know I've been really focused on magnesium lately. I just reordered a supplement that I've been taking, and the company that I get it from, there they always send emails and they do little cool educational webinars that coincidentally make you want to buy their stuff more and also use more of it. But I'm going to try something and and I think it'd be a good future episode. I'm going to try doing a magnesium loading phase. Okay. Because I've been kind of off and on and I know that most of our foods are void of magnesium, even if they say they are because of just industrial agriculture. Yeah. Degradations in the soil over time and that's just a little side note. If you're really worried about the environment, look up topsoil and its preservation because we only Ooh, got about baby. 50 years left of that. So it yeah. doesn't really matter if the ozone goes away in a couple hundred years because we're not going to have soil to grow food. Start composting today. <laughs> I really want to start. Do you compost? Yeah, we actually just started composting. Is that the little orange bucket in your... That is what we use as like a slot bucket and then we put the slot bucket into an actual composter. So okay. we have a rotating composter outside that like bakes in the sun and we turn it every couple of days and we just started doing it within the last couple of weeks. So we don't have any compost yet, but within the next couple of months we should have some good compost and Robbie, I know you've been over to our place. We have such a big backyard and we haven't really taken great care of it because, you know, we're just a couple of kids in our mid-20s. We don't know how to take care of a yard. But I've been really drawn to gardening recently and I think the idea of growing my own herbs and my own food is really appealing <laughs> to me. So since we're planning on re-signing our lease for this house. I'm going to start investing in, in gardening a little bit more, especially once we clean up the yard and get that compost moving. That's like the one reason I do enjoy apartment living and especially for where I'm at and what I want in my future. I'm going to have to live in an apartment for the next few years, but I really do want a house so I can garden some. I really would like even a greenhouse and at least growing a few things that I'm including in my diet. And then eventually the goal would be to retire on a farm and not have to worry about the outside world <laughs> for, for food. And I know composting is a big part of that. I'm trying to figure out a way that I can compost just small things, you know, eggshells, peels of, of, Bananas? Of, of bananas or, you know, avocados, whatever, whatever biological things that I'm eating, which we all should be eating biological things. If you're not, that's part of the problem. But uh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, but I, I'd like to just do some compost because I need stuff for my houseplants. Yeah. Well, you can look into a kitchen composter. They have little small compost buckets that have a have a lid to them so they don't smell gnarly and then you just kind of twist it around and it starts making compost or you mm. could even have like a small composting bucket outside in your little fenced in area 
that's not too bad. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to look into that. Just trying to create a better world for not only myself, but everybody. And today we're talking about something that can create a better world for yourself or maybe creating a worse world for yourself. Worse world, worse world. It is a sedentary lifestyle. It's something we've talked about multiple times. It is plaguing, I think, the world at large, but really increasingly plaguing American culture Mm -hmm. and Western culture in general with the increase in technologies and screens and office work and driving commutes. Everything is kind of leading to us being in a seated position. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about it plenty of times on this podcast, but most health goals that we have can be enhanced by an active lifestyle, whether you want better sleep, whether you want better body composition, whether you want better mental clarity, focus, performance, being active is going to help with all those things. But today we're going to talk about a little bit more the health risks risks of sedentary lifestyle. And you found a really great meta-analysis that we're going to go over. But I'm just wondering, what, what are your thoughts on a sedentary lifestyle? Do you see, have you, I mean, I feel like I've seen it even in my li- lifetime as it's gotten increasingly less and less over the years. I would definitely agree with that. And I used to be a sedentary individual when I was, when I was a kid. I was never really big into sports. I was not particularly athletically inclined. And I I was forced to do some sports for a while and I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. And then I got to a point where my parents didn't really force me to do sports anymore. And I was a little too young to go to the gym. So I didn't really do much of anything. And that's really when my mental health started to decline as well as my physical health. Along with, you know, other things, I was on my computer all the time. I was on Tumblr, which was this blogging format, which I think is still around today. But it was such a toxic environment for me to be a part of, unfortunately, because it was pretty much just all of these depressed 14-year-olds talking about how much they hated their lives. And I played into that. That was really like my community. I know that on the last episode, we talked about how important having positive people around you is because your vibe attracts your tribe. The opposite is also completely true. But like you were saying, sedentary lifestyle, increased screen time, they go hand in hand. I wasn't spending as much time outside. I wasn't really engaging with the physical world physically or energetically. And I became really shut off to the world around me and definitely impacted my psyche. And also I was getting sick way more often. I got sick almost every other week at that point in my life. And it wasn't until I started exercising regularly, you know, like three to five times a week, uh, even if it was something like taking my dog for a walk or actually going to the gym and doing 30 minutes of weightlifting, 15 minutes of light cardio. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew that it made me feel better. And as time has gone on, I got my degree in exercise physiology, not particularly because I was a super big fitness guru, but because I wanted to be a pre-med and learn about the body and not be a bio major. Mm -hmm. But I ended up really enjoying what I studied. 
and learning how to optimize and bring the body back into a functional state, metabolism, functional movement. I loved all of that stuff. And now fitness is my career. I'm a general manager of an infrared fitness studio. And so I'm moving way more now than I did 10 years ago, which for a lot of people my age, that's the opposite. And I'm really grateful for the role that fitness has played in my life. And I can completely attest to the difference between being a sedentary child to being an active adult. It has just compounded benefits in ways that are not just physiological, but also emotional and energetic. I think most people would agree that they feel better when they're moving more, even if they don't want to admit it sometimes. But if you really sit back and think of it, I believe that a lot of people blame aging and basically aging and getting older on not feeling as good, having pains. And yes, that will happen over time. But the 28-year-old that's complaining about back pain and low energy, it's not because you're 28. It's because you're inactive. It's, you're not 68. You're not 78. I know people in their 70s that are running marathons. Mm -hmm. So for me, I feel like personally, I'm in a war with a sedentary lifestyle. It is like my battle every day to fight is sitting too much, driving too much, watching too much TV being in front of my computer too much. And I have to do a lot of those things because of my employment. I can't really avoid the fact that tomorrow I'm going to put about four hours in the car. Yeah. And today I'll probably put about two to three hours in the car. It is constant. So I'm constantly in a seated position. And then normally then I got to get home and I got to sit down. And I do a lot of things to combat over sitting, but just being in place in general. It doesn't matter if you're standing at a desk, sitting crisscross applesauce, or sitting in a chair. If you're in that position for a prolonged period of time, your body's not going to like that, and you're, you're going to have negative health effects. Mm -hmm. So I think it's good to talk about really the science and really the consequences of a sedentary lifestyle, and we're going to get into that in the next section. It's something I'm very passionate about. I think if you just drink enough water, move every day, and sleep, it matters what you eat. But I think those three things, if you do those things, you're going to automatically start to eat better. You're going to crave better foods. You're going to get in a better space. And even if you are eating those bad foods, your body's going to process it a lot better. I agree with that 100%. So do you have anything else you'd like to put down in our little intro top bun kind of? <laughs> I think we're ready to move on to, uh, to the meat. To All the right. meat of the sandwich. Great. We'll catch you after the transition. All right. So we are back. We're talking about the effects of a sedentary lifestyle. There was just one peer-reviewed meta-analysis that Robbie and I really liked that covered a lot of different topics about why a sedentary lifestyle can impact your physiology and your mental health in a lot of different ways. This is an article coming from the Korean Journal of Family Medicine, and it was released in November of 2020. So it's a pretty recent article. It goes through a lot of different studies and 
thought it was a great piece of information that encapsulates pretty much everything we wanted to discuss today. So Yeah. And doing research for this, there's a ton of data out there about sedentary lifestyle and the health risks of it. But this meta-analysis, I liked it. You cut you brought it to my attention. It's good because it's it's to the point. It looks at a lot of different sets of data and it seems pretty well done and it really dives into I guess silos or, or specific areas of concern with a sedentary lifestyle, which I like it a lot. I found mm-hmm. a, a wide range of different things, but this is nice because as meta-analysis do, they compile everything, all the relevant data together. And that's important. I like that. And I will let you continue, share. Yeah. So just to preface, this article states that from the information that was received, 31% of the global population is considered sedentary. But when Robbie and I saw that, we were like, um, that actually seems like a pretty low number. Yeah, global population. So you're including third world countries and people that are still... Still hunting and gathering for a living. (laughs) Yeah. So... In my exercise physiology class, uh, which I took about two years ago with an updated textbook, my teacher, Dr. Lynn Panton, from her data showed that about 78% of Americans are considered sedentary. 78%? So 78%. 78%. And only about 20% of our population was getting adequate physical activity. I mean, that makes sense. 88% of our population is metabolically unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty unfortunate. I mean, and that is just a testament to how important physical activity is to our health. It kind of seems like a little bit of a broken record because if you think about it, we were created to be physically active. And because of the way that our society has developed with industrialization, with our work-life balance, with technologies, transportation, traffic, pollution, all of these things, we have just been almost kind of forced into this sitting disease, this sedentary lifestyle. And we're seeing how drastic the effects are of this now, especially our generation, because I mean, our grandparents were still pretty active. My parents were more active than I think we were growing up because they didn't have video games or computers or things like that. I spent a lot of time sitting as a kid because I wanted to play video games. I lived in Florida. It was fucking hot outside. I didn't want to go play sports with my friends. I wanted to stay inside and play video games. And now we're seeing how how that's affecting all of us, not just our generation, but even older generations that are adopting these uh, these new practices that we're seeing. Yeah, sedentary lifestyle, I would assume, I mean, I don't have any like concrete facts on this, but just in my head, probably not until mid-1900s, late-1900s, that we really start getting in a sedentary lifestyle where we in a, we're, we're, we're in a world where everybody has cars, everybody is, is doing office work. Even early 1900s, not a lot of people had cars and they were walking to their factory jobs. And then before the Industrial Revolution, people were farming and had to hunt for their food. So you pretty much had a, you either moved or you died and you really didn't have a choice. And really recently, and like you were saying, is just generationally, even my generation, when I was a kid, 
I think I was six years old when when Nintendo 64 came out, and that was a big deal. And we would play video games some, but for the most part, I remember I had a very active neighborhood, and it may have been just because I had a lot of neighbors that played sports. We used to play backyard baseball. I had a pool. I was one of the kids that my parents had to make me come inside. I was never a kid that I had to be kicked out. I never really played video games too much. I played a little bit in college, but I I was lucky in the fact that I don't think I was ever forced into it, but my parents just made sure I was outside all the time, and then that just kind of bled into my life. And I noticed that, though, when I did shift and I started to get into more office work, my body was like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Yeah, I I totally I totally can see that. Um, and just to kind of go back into the study, yeah, let's jump back uh, the study also said that sedentary lifestyles has been known to contribute to the death of approximately 3.2 million people every single year. Every single year, 3.2 million people are dying because for at least part of the reason is that they're inactive because inactivity is the fourth leading risk factor for global mortality. That is, it's crazy. And if you actually look at the leading risks of global mortality, I think three out of five of the top or four out of five of the top ones all have to do with physical inactivity, physical inactivity being one of them, but high blood glucose, high blood pressure, overweight and obesity. The only one that's really not in there is tobacco use. Yeah. So that's pretty wild. Yeah, I agree. And so just to define what sedentary behavior is, this might sound a little over people's head. This is a little bit more of an exercise physiology standard, but it's any waking behavior that uses less than or equal to 1.5 metabolic equivalents. So a metabolic equivalent is a standard unit of energy that we use in exercise physiology practices because caloric expenditure can be so different from one person to the next, but basically it just standardizes everything based on their base metabolic rate. So how many calories are you burning when you're resting versus how many calories you're burning when you're being active? That has helped us define what a metabolic equivalent is. So anything that is 1.5 or less METs is considered like sitting or leaning. So any behavior where you're just sitting down, you're in a car, you're doing office work, you're leaning up against the table where you're not really exerting any energy. And then from there, you know, 1.6 to 2.9 is light. I think three to six is moderate intensity and anything greater than six uh, METs is considered vigorous intensity. So just for comparison's sake for anybody who's into physiology or the nitty-gritty science behind it, that is what is considered sedentary behavior. And sedentary behavior, we can kind of just go into different things that it affects. So let's talk about the heart first, because I think that is something that everybody thinks of when they think of an active lifestyle is a strong heart. Your heart is a muscle. 
And so if you don't work it out, it's going to get weaker. And this is going to decrease your cardiac output or your heart's ability to pump blood in and out of your entire body system, which also decreases systemic blood flow. And blood carries oxygen to all of our organ systems, which provides it the energy that they need to pretty much do everything. Your body just needs oxygen and water. It needs nutrients, absolutely, but it those are the main two things that it needs to produce energy. And then your blood also carries your hormones, different nutrients throughout your body, toxin elimination, all of these things. Uh, so if your blood is not circulating properly, that can just lead to such a great slew of issues that compounds into every single area of our life. And something I noticed when I was in the cardiology clinic was all of these people who are coming in with heart disease, it wasn't just heart disease because the heart, just like the chakra system, it's the integration point. So you've got three lower chakras, three upper chakras, and the heart is really where everything comes together. That's really where you want to be operating from is your heart center. So with that in mind, when other things in your system aren't going the way that they're supposed to, the heart gets impacted. And if somebody's got heart disease, it's very likely that they have other physiological things that are going wrong with them, whether that's renal failure, diabetes, um, improper nutrient flow, hormonal imbalances. Definitely hormones play a huge role into this, but that is really where you can see the compounding of systemic disease is if somebody has heart disease. Uh, that all makes sense. I, I, I feel like it's a recurring theme the more I research physical activity and, and different health benefits of whether you're doing a cold shower or running or, what, or stretching. Getting your fluids in your body moving is the way we are supposed to function. It is the way we get nutrients to other parts of our bodies. And it's also the way we secrete uh, toxins is, is through getting our, our blood flowing, getting our lymphatic system flowing, and you can't do that without moving. If you're sitting, you're kind of just creating dams all over your body and things can't flow and, and properly function. That's a great analogy. I love that. Um, another thing too, especially for women, is that sedentary behavior reduces bone mineral density. So this is not something that we typically think of as a huge issue, especially I think most of our viewers are mid-20s, 30s, early 40s. So a lot of us aren't really thinking about our bones all that much recently. But it is really important to know that if you have a low bone mineral density, you are way more likely to break a bone, to have osteoporosis, to not be able to continue with functional movement throughout your life. So you might be able to get around with not having to have any issues with sitting down in a chair, standing back up, walking for long distances at this point in your life. But if you're not consciously actively training your muscles and building that that musculature, which also builds bone density, then you're going to get to a point where, you know, maybe you've got kids and you're having a really hard time keeping up with them 
uh, when they're when they're playing, or maybe you can't walk around as well when you go to the amusement park when you've got little grandkids, or maybe you fall and you break your bone and then you're out of commission for who knows how long, depending on where you're at in your life cycle. So it's definitely something we don't really think about, at least I don't really think about a lot right now, but it is really important to know, especially for women, as you get older and that estrogen decreases, that also plays into bone mineral density. So the more active you can be at this point in your life, you can offset a lot of those um, risks of having osteoporosis breaking bones later in your life. I actually think about bone density a decent amount just because I am in that mindset that I want to be very active. I know that I'm going to be a little bit older when I have children. I want to make sure that I can beat my kids in basketball Mm -hmm. their entire lives. I don't want to, I don't want to ever lose, but not just that, but just, I want to be there for my children. I want to be active and I want to instill a physically active lifestyle in them. And that's why I'm a big fan of weight-bearing exercises, weightlifting, and even just running and, and jumping rope. I love swimming and I love biking, but they are not weight-bearing exercises. You are not going to increase your bone density by swimming. You are not going to increase your bone density by riding a bike. You are not putting weight on your bones. And therefore, without any stress on that system, the system is not going to adapt. I... I've done some research behind this. They've seen that, I forget the exact paper and the exact statistics, but they followed a bunch of, in in Europe, they followed a bunch of youth bicyclists and people, kids that were growing up and basically spending more of their time on a bike than they were running around playing. And those kids were exponentially more likely to break bones, even at a young age. So I don't know about exponentially, but they were more likely to break bones. Mm, and I think significantly, see, significantly yeah. exponentially is the wrong word, but they <laughs> were, and it all just makes sense. And I think that's something as we age, we need to be aware of because when you're 50 or 60 and you break your hip, it's too late. A lot of the health habits that are going to allow you to live a better life in your seventies and eighties and even sixties, fifties, forties start now. It starts with the things you're doing every day. And having an active lifestyle is very key in not only your bone density, but overall health of your body going forward. Yes. Wonderful. Great, great points all around. Another thing, just while we're in the physiology component of sedentary behaviors, it does um, increase your inflammation in the body and it also activates your sympathetic nervous system. So just as a reminder, we've got multiple different subsections of the nervous system. The autonomic nervous system is really what determines your resting state. So are you in fight or flight mode or rest and digest mode? The less you work out, the more sedentary you are, the more you operate in a fight or flight state as your resting state. And that might seem a little counterintuitive to people. They're like, well, I'm resting and digesting all of the time. I'm not really fighting or flying. So why am I in this sympathetic nervous system state? But it's because you have such a higher level of cortisol in your system, which is the stress hormone. And cortisol 
is able to get processed and detoxified from your body when you are physically active. If you don't have that physical activity component, then all of this cortisol just builds up in your system. That's where a lot of times you notice when people are inactive or experiencing great levels of stress because all of their weight is around their midsection. So that's where cortisol really loves to loves to hang out and play is right in that midsection where nobody wants it to be. And exercise does increase cortisol, I believe, while you're actually exercising, but it's kind of that, um, I'm not exactly sure the way to explain it, but you, you charge it up, you excite it, and then when you're recovering, it lowers your resting rate. It's kind of like how the same effect of blood pressure where exercising actually increases your blood pressure, but if you exercise regularly, it lowers your resting blood pressure. You need to, like I just said with the bones, you got to stress the system to adapt. Exactly. So stress adaptation, that's exactly what it is. Thank you, Robbie. Mm -hmm. So, and another thing too with that is the thing that stood out to me the most of this article particularly because I'm really fascinated by hormones, women's health in particular. But this article explained how all of the hormones in the body are impacted due to a sedentary lifestyle, whether that's cortisol, the stress hormone, insulin, which is correlated to diabetes. Um, All of our sex hormones are also impacted because if your body's not circulating blood properly, also the hormones aren't going to where they need to go properly. And so if you're not exercising, you have a reduced insulin sensitivity, which means that you're at a higher risk of diabetes. You have that resting blood glucose much higher than it needs to be. That's hyperglycemia. That puts a lot of stress on the system. And then we also have reduced vascular function, so high blood pressure. There's too much resistance on the blood vessels because they haven't been stressed and adapted properly. And this can increase your risk of heart attack and stroke. And then the sex hormones was something that really almost surprised me because while it makes sense, it wasn't something that I typically think of sex hormones and exercise together. But the article specifically mentions an increased risk of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, endometrial, colon, and colorectal cancers, where we know that if you're sedentary, you're going to have a higher risk of all different kinds of cancers, but you typically think of more like heart disease, lung disease, different things like that. But the fact that they mentioned specifically sex organ related cancers really just kind of took me aback. And so we were kind of talking about that off air. Robbie, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, it, it just makes sense because if you're in a sedentary lifestyle and you're not getting adequate blood flow, you're not going to get those hormones to where they need to go and there's a correlation too i don't know if the the article goes over it but lack of physical activity is correlated with sexual dysfunction Mm -hmm. in men or women it's it whether you're just doing it for fun or reproduction being in a better health lower body weight increases your sexual function it increases your reproductive capacity and that's something we don't talk about a ton. And I think I think it's important. And like you were saying, and and I feel like with cancer, this is not a scientific view of it. But 
if you're just sitting stagnant, that's where cancer is going to flourish. If you're not moving, if you're not getting things cleaned out and, and that metabolic waste is not being filtered out through your body, you're going to have problems. And it just, it, to me, in a, a logical sense, to me, logically, it makes sense. I don't know the exact mechanisms that would cause the, those specific cancers to go, but it, it, it does make sense to me. It all has to do with blood flow. Mm -hmm. And even in traditional Chinese medicine, TCM, uh, cancer is just considered stagnation. That's really all it is. And so what you were saying, even going back to the analogy that you had before about the dams, you know, there's no flow through the dams if you're, if you're staying still all the time. And especially if you're in the city, city, seated position, think about, you know, your, your lower half of your body that is just getting this complete lack of blood flow to it. So it all just kind of makes sense conceptually. And we're seeing in the data how it actually impacts us. From an evolutionary standpoint, the standard seated position is not natural. Our primal ancestors were not ever seated in an office chair or a, a dining, dining room table chair. They were either squatting, laying, or walking or upright. There really wasn't a lot of time in this weird, your legs are at a 90 degree, about a 90 degree angle, your hips are kind of tight. And it, it causes a lot of problems with your mus muscles as well. That's why a lot of people have back pain. They don't realize it's from tight muscles in the front. It's not necessarily a bad back. It's it's too tight of core muscles, your psoas. It kind of constricts everything and forces you to be in this hunched over position that mm. is plaguing our society. So we'll go over uh, different things that you can do to become a more active individual if you realize that you've become more sedentary. But just something while I'm thinking about it is inversion postures like yogic inversion postures, whether it is like a bridge posture or a wheel or any position where your head is lower than the rest of your body, that's all really great for opening up your system. Also things like a cobra pose where you're laying on the ground, pushing your arms out. So you've got this nice little uh, <laughs> exponential curve or what the logarithmic. It's not logarithmic. Yes. That's a logarithmic that's curve. That's a yeah. logarithmic curve. Yes. Um, when you're kind of sloping down, that really helps open up the front of your body as well as the pigeon pose is really great for helping open up those hip flexors. So just a little side note on all of that, especially for our lower half of our body, helping open that up and bring some more blood flow there. Um, but I really wanted to talk about mental health and how exercise affects mental health. I know Robbie and I have both talked on the podcast how exercise has significantly improved our mental health, not only our ability to combat depression and anxiety, but also improving cognitive function, our memory, our focus, different things like that. And this study notes that mentally passive sedentary behaviors were positively correlated with depression. So anything where you're not thinking and you're not moving is correlated with depression. So like watching TV. And when you say positively, that doesn't mean it has a positive effect. No, like it is, it is impact. You, you say the words, you know how to say it. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it's a direct correlation with increased 
Yes. It's a positive thing. So the more you do something, it's going to increase. It's going to create a positive reaction. It's mm-hmm. not an inverse reactions. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Robbie. I appreciate it. So anything like watching TV, hanging out on your phone, social media, like just even sitting on the couch, talking to your roommates, doing nothing, that is all correlated with depression. And well, I would say that if you're sitting on the couch and talking to a friend, that's not necessarily correlated to depression because that can bring you that social bonding, that community, which helps fight depression. I would say that if you're just kind of sitting on the couch, watching TV, bitching about life, you're probably not doing anything good for your mental health. So I think it, correct me if I'm wrong, it kind of compounds it. I mean, doing those those passive kind of things, it, turning your brain off, you're not firing any neuron, uh, neurons, you're, you're obviously being inundated with a lot of negativity or even overstimulation. A big problem with social media is not the fact that it's necessarily bad, it's that it's too good. Mm-hmm. It's too stimulating. You're constantly getting dopamine hits over and over and over again. And it's, it's causing your body to be in this, this spike, uh, this peak and valley, peak, valley, peak, valley. And that's not how we are made to function. But then on top of that, I think from a physiological standpoint, everything goes back to blood flow. You're not getting adequate blood flow to your brain. You're not getting adequate uh, dispersion of nutrients and hormones throughout your body, which all lead to depression. Exactly. Everything you just said is perfect. But another thing, you know, just kind of like you were talking about is not only are we physically sedentary, but we've also become very mentally sedentary, especially in our off time. So while, you know, sitting and being mentally active is actually not correlated with depression risk. At least these studies that were mentioned showed that. So things like reading, driving, being a part of a meeting, they mentioned knitting or doing anything with your hands that is productive. So if you're being mentally productive and sedentary, that hasn't really been correlated with depression. But a lot of the things that we do when we're sedentary are also very mentally passive and that just compounds the issue. I think picking up a skill is great for mental health. Mm -hmm. If you are trying to learn an instrument or even just doing something that challenges you and gets into that evolutionary reward pathway, you don't really get a reward from sitting on social media. We do post sometimes and there's a reward with likes and, and that, but that's really an external reward. It's not really an internal re- reward. I think everything that you were putting down there is an internal thing. If you're reading, you are learning. You yourself are creating more abundance in your, in your mind and your capacity uh, to do things, your skills. And I think anything that enhances or adds to your repertoire of whatever it is, is going to be mentally beneficial. And I like that you said you brought this up about being mentally sedentary because it's a, it's a big problem. And part of that is it's the information. It's, it's too easy to rely on Google to remember things. So we, our memories have greatly been impacted by this, by being able to store so much stuff. A lot of just remembering things is just being in the mindset that I have to remember this. If you, if you know you can put a number in your phone, you're not going to remember seven digits. You don't really have to worry about it. But if you know 
if you're in a life or death situation and somebody like shouts a, a phone number at you and you got to leave and you don't have anything to write it down, you'll probably remember those seven, seven numbers. Yeah. 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 No, that's a great point. So all of these things, you know, I think what we're, what we're putting down is that sedentary behavior. While we've been talking about it a lot more from a physiological standpoint, it does also have a mental component to it. And what we're really advocating for is just greater activity in all areas of your life. Do things that actually light you up inside. Do stuff that challenges you, stimulates you, connects you with other people in real time, not just over a screen. And then also do things that are actually enjoyable for your body. I know it can be a little challenging, especially if you've gone from a completely sedentary lifestyle to start working out again, but the benefits are so numerous. You're going to feel amazing. And that's something too that a lot of people, when they're starting to work out, they're just working out because they're like, oh, I need to lose weight. Oh, I need to look better. Oh, I want to, you know, have less cellulite. I want my skin to look better, all those things. And you're going to get all of those things from starting to work out. There's no doubt about that. And if that gets you from the couch to the gym, then awesome. I'm really proud of you. But knowing that every single time you go to the gym, you're going to feel better has been the reason why I keep going back. I'm not going back because I'm like, oh, I want to be, you know, the hottest person in the world or I want to, you know, be able to show off X, Y, and Z. But I know if I've gone a couple days without working out, I mentally feel like trash and I also feel sluggish. I feel fatigued. I'm probably more likely to get sick if I haven't worked out in, you know, a week or two's time, which is really rare for me now. I, you know, I know Robbie, you work out almost on an everyday basis, but I would say for me, my bare minimum is one to two times a week and my standard is about three to four times a week. Yeah. So beautiful. Well, yeah. I go ahead. Uh, uh, I was going to, I was going to close this out, but you can go. Yeah, ahead no, I was, I was also going to do that. So you can go ahead and do Yeah. That. I, I feel like we're starting to get into what we like to save for the end of the episode. So please stick around and we will get back to you on tips and tricks, our experience with a sedentary lifestyle or overcoming it and all that good jazz. So thank you, Cher. We'll catch y'all on the flip side. Right, so we are back. I hope you guys enjoyed the segment about the effects of a sedentary lifestyle. And now we're going to be discussing what different tools and tricks that you can use to become a more active individual physically and mentally. So I wanted to draw on some of my uh, degree, my exercise physiology notes. I mentioned Dr. Lynn Panton was my exercise testing and prescription teacher. She was an amazing teacher, uh, has done so much research throughout her life and working with her was really a pleasure. And so there was a couple notes that I just wanted to bring to y'all's attention. So as far as how much activity you should be getting throughout the week, The Surgeon General says that 30 minutes of moderate activity most days of the week will benefit you 
in overcoming the effects of a sedentary lifestyle. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with weight management, so to say, but it does have significant health benefits such as lowering your risk of high blood pressure, improving glucose uptake, improving mental health, different things like that. Versus the Institute of Medicine suggests 60 to 90 minutes of moderate activity most days of the week if you're specifically looking for weight management, reduction, body composition changes, different things like that. I don't have any problem with those recommendations. And and just to clarify, like moderate exercise, going for a brisk walk is a moderate exercise. So this doesn't mean that you got to sit in front of a, sit on a treadmill or go to the gym specifically. There's little things you can do that add up during the day, ways that I combat a sedentary lifestyle because I don't really have a good amount of time to do 60 to 90 minutes straight. Things that I do to combat that is I always make sure, and this is good for my pups too, but I always make sure the dogs or dog goes for a good at least 20 to 30 minute walk. So I get 20, 30 minutes in the morning. And then as long as it's not too hot or depending on the facility I'm at, I'm constantly bouncing around during the day, going to different hospitals. Taking the stairs is huge. And I think you hear that a lot, but I think it's a good reminder that especially if you work in an office or you're in an area where you have the opportunity to take stairs, take them. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, unless you're going to take 30 of them and get a get sweaty before your meeting with your boss, that's maybe not good. But instead of going to the 30th floor, go to the 25th floor and then take the last five floors of stairs. Parking farther away is is a way that I do that. I don't... One, it takes away the stress of trying to park in a busy area. I'll try to park as far away as I can, if possible. And it's always good for walking. Uh, If I'm home and I get a phone call, I'll stand up and I'll start walking around during the phone call. So over my day, in like a 20-minute chunk in the morning, a few 10-minute chunks during the day, when I get to that 4 or 5 o'clock, I already got anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour of physical activity banked. And then I'll do about 20 to 30 minutes of whatever exercise I'm doing, even if it's just some yoga poses or some some weightlifting, and then I'll be able to get that 90 minutes pretty easily as long as you chunk it throughout the day. I think a big problem with people is they see this mountain of 60 minutes a day or 90 minutes a day, and they think, I don't have time for that. There's no way I can get that in my life. So they automatically just turn their brain off, and they just decide they can't do it. But this doesn't, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think any of these say that it has to be in secession, right? Nope, it doesn't. And Robbie, you hit the nail on the coffin. Something that I wanted to mention was that, you know, the the role of becoming less sedentary, becoming more active is not just increasing your physical activity, but also decreasing the amount of sedentary behaviors that you have in a day. So like you were saying, walking around on a phone call, making sure that you're taking your dogs for a nice walk, parking far away. Other um, tips that I have would be, you know, walk to your meetings, walk during your lunch or coffee breaks. That's something I used to do when I was at the hospital rather than going for my 
third cup of coffee, you know, midday, I would go for a walk and that would give me a really nice natural energy boost. So that's another thing too. It makes you less dependent on caffeine, which spikes your cortisol levels, increases that um, vasoconstriction, high blood pressure, all of that jazz. It's all related. Um, And then, you know, if you are watching TV, walk around the house during the commercial breaks or I know some people have started investing in Pelotons and just doing the Peloton while they're uh, watching TV or something like that, which I think it's still important to get outside. You do more weight-bearing exercises like you were mentioning, but if that helps you get 30, 40 more minutes of physical exercise during the day, then that is a big win. Yeah, yeah. And just to clarify, when I was saying that about bicycling or swimming, that, that doesn't mean don't do those things. It just means don't make that your just only primary form of exercise. Exactly, exactly. And then even if you are in that more corporate job, especially if you guys have gone back to the office, you know, advocate for having a standing desk. I think that's something that's really big is being able to stay standing for most of the day rather than being in that seated position. That's also going to offset a lot of the issues that you get from sitting for seven or eight hours a day. Robbie, would you agree with that? I don't agree with that 100%. Really, the issue is staying in the same position for a long period of time. So you'll even see issues with people who stand at their desk for six, seven hours a day. Mm -hmm. If you're standing in that one spot, that's not really good for your body. You will create, you're going to get tight in certain areas. You just want to get through full ranges of motions and standing isn't a full range of motion. So for me, the way I can combat uh, an office lifestyle, I'm lucky to, when I'm in that office mode, I'm at home normally, so I can do different things. What I do is about every 30 to 45 minutes, I will switch my location. I will either stand and work, I will sit at a normal chair and work, or I'll sit on the floor and work. And one thing that's nice about floor sitting is it forces your legs and your your hips and your low back to go through a range of motion that we aren't naturally doing all the time. And that is just good overall for muscle tightness and back pain and any issues that stem from a weak core, tight muscles in our core and hips. There's going to be a lot of benefits to that. So what I would recommend to people is try to sit on the floor a little bit during the day. Try to if you do have a standing desk, that's great, but don't stand Stand for an hour, then sit for an hour, then go sit down. If you can get a treadmill under your desk, I know that's very expensive. I've looked into it. I would like to have that one day, but I don't want to spend three or four grand on a little mm. treadmill that sits under my desk. That is is awesome. I think just being mindful of the fact that, hey, I just sat for two hours. Let me do 10 minutes of stretching or I just got out of the car. I actually have some great stretches that I do after a long drive that would probably be a great reel that we can make for this episode is just kind of going over some stretches that I do as soon as I get out of the car to really open up my hips, make make me feel a little bit better. Because a lot of, I feel like a lot of issues with a sedentary lifestyle is one, it's blood flow, but just creating muscle imbalances in the body. That's a lot of the reason why people have back pain and hip problems, and and that's going to lead to poor sexual function. There's a lot of issues that go into the fact that we're just in this tight, hunched over 
mucked up system of our body gets it gets all constricted. So I would agree that standing is better than sitting in a traditional chair, but don't don't just stand all day. Make sure you're moving and changing your position constantly. Awesome. I'm I'm glad I asked. That was a that was a great answer. Um, and then something else that I was just thinking of, especially if you do work from home and you have a little bit more ability to move around during the day, or maybe your office has a gym that you can use while you're on your lunch break or have like a 20 minute break, whatever the case may be. I love yoga with Adrian. I think I've mentioned her on this podcast when we first started out, but she has really amazing, quick yoga videos that are so fun to do. And also she's such a great instructor that it makes yoga not so scary for the uninitiated. And she's got great hip openers. You know, she does like 10 minute office workflows, different things like that. Any way that you're moving your body, stressing your stretching and stressing your muscles and getting that blood flowing is going to be so beneficial for your body. And it also not only wakes up your body physically, but also your mind as well. I love that. Love that. I think that we're, we're pretty good. So yeah. Robbie, is there anything else? Well, just how's, uh, how's your health going? How's, uh, how do you think this episode plays into your life? Where are some areas you, where you think you can find maybe some more movement? I feel like you're pretty active. You're good um, about this kind of stuff. Well, at my, at my work, when I'm in the studio, I'm standing or I'm walking around the studio all day. So I, I'm walking around a good bit during the day. It's the days that I have off when I'm working at home or working out of the office that sometimes get me. So I'm trying to increase my physical activity during my days that I'm working, but not in office. So taking walks around my neighborhood, especially earlier in the day when it's not so hot outside, that's something that I'm trying to implement more of. But I have been setting myself the goal of doing three to four uh, sessions at the studio every single week. So there are 45-minute isometric workouts that are in a infrared sauna. So it's a really great, effective workout. You get a lot more out of the workout in a shorter amount of time because you're compounding it with the heat and the infrared energy. So I've been doing that, you know, consistently two to three times a week, but I'm trying to increase it to four, but also being a woman and having a menstrual cycle, something that is important to note is that when you're approaching your, your menses, your moon cycle, that it's important to kind of slow down and still be moving, but do something a little bit more relaxing, like just going for a nice walk around the neighborhood, doing a little yin or hatha yoga, not not your day to do leg day or some crazy power lifting. So you kind of want to correlate your workouts to your cycle. If you are on a natural cycle and you're a woman, I think that's something that's been really beneficial for me. Um, but for, for guys, I would say, you know, doing two to three times a week and then having recreational activities too, that you do. I think that is something that gets really overlooked is, um, Having having fun stuff to do with your friends, like play basketball, play disc golf, you know, go for a walk, uh, get a get a longboard. I don't know. I live in St. Pete, and everybody's skating all over the place. So I know I kind of went a little off topic, but no, no, not really. You really didn't go off topic. You were talking about uh, moving the yes. whole time. So <laughs> I know for me, just 
I've seen a dip in my walking over the last couple months, and that has affected some different areas of my life. So I'm just trying to get some more walks and doing a midday. I'm usually good about a morning walk, but I need to go out and I try to walk during the day, even if I'm at, you know, an hour and a half away from my my uh, my home and I'm working somewhere, I will try to like to walk. If I have time, I'll leave the surgery center or hospital and I'll go walk, I'll do a lap around the building or just find ways that I'm getting more steps in. Walking is great for just staying active and keeping your blood moving. So just more walking. I, I work out every day, but I notice the more I walk, the better workouts I get and the happier I am. So more walking for me. I like that. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, and then what was your goal for for the last episode? I forget. How have you have you moved on that? Well, this we're actually recording this pretty quickly from the affirmations episode. I have tried that a little bit and I was a little bit more productive yesterday, but it's only been a couple of days. I but as far as meditating, I've been making sure that meditation is a part of my day. And something that has freed me up a little bit is I used to feel like I could only meditate with my Headspace app, but it's the same thing every time and I know the script. So I just go through the script in my head Mm -hmm. and I'm able to do that. And I've been finding ways to maybe put on some like binaural beats and replacing. Usually I'll take an afternoon nap, but instead I am meditating, which will lead to sometimes a few minutes of, of sleeping. But I wake up much more recharged if I go into the nap with focusing on my breathing. I have some good recharging binaural beats playing. I wake up and, and I'm ready to go. I feel very refreshed. And it's helped a lot with stress mitigation and anxiety. I notice if I get an afternoon meditation session slash nap, I am much more. I don't want to know how to say this without sounding like an asshole. I'm just a nicer person in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get really grumpy in the afternoon. So. I think a lot of us do. So I can I can attest to that. And that's why I like to get my workouts in the midday. I'm able to kind of work out more in the middle of the day, which I really like because it allows me to, again, avoid that second cup of coffee. In the middle of the day, we talk about that mid-afternoon dip. And if I'm able to work out anytime between like 11 a.m. and 2 p.m., I find that I'm a lot happier and a lot more pleasant to be around. (laughs) Yeah. And that's something we really didn't talk about, but your energy levels go up so much if you become a more active person. I think we, t- I don't know. Did we talk about that a kind lot? Kind of more or less. More yeah. or less. Yeah. So how's, uh, how's waking up going? It's, uh, well, I have had to wake up before seven o'clock the last two mornings because my boyfriend's car is in the shop. And so I've had to drive him to work for the last two days, which, um, you know, we'll see when he gets his car tomorrow, how, how tomorrow is going to go. But I've kind of already gotten into this flow of, all right, I'm getting up before seven. So I think as long as I wake up between seven and seven thirty for the next couple of days, I'll be, I'll be right on track to where I want to be. So it's towards the end of the month. And, uh, I definitely have noticed that it's easier for me to wake up a little bit earlier, a little bit earlier every day. So I'm That's happy great. about that. That's great. I'm glad we're, you're making progress. I'm actually, I have been waking up a little later oh. because I've been trying to prioritize sleep a little more. 
It's well, just good hard. for you. It's just hard for me to shut everything down at nine. And mm-hmm. to get up at five and get adequate sleep, I have to be like almost in bed by nine, nine thirty. And that's just not it's just not real. It's not real yeah. life. And that's what we're all about is is adapting a healthy lifestyle into a real lifestyle. Absolutely. And, you know, always give yourself compassion and the ability to change. And adaptation is really key. Yeah. All right. Well, Cher, I really appreciate this episode. I really like this one. I think it's an important topic. Uh, Do you want to go ahead and close us out? Absolutely. So thank you guys for tuning in today. We are the Balance and Moderation Podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, share this with somebody that you love, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't yet. Please follow us at Instagram, at the BAM Podcast. That is where we are currently the most active, although we're moving into our website space, balanceandmoderation.com, more and more every single day. But we'll be posting really great content, reminding you guys when our episodes come out, also some healthy lifestyle tips and tricks and all of that jazz on the Instagram page. So that is a great way to get in touch with us. Robbie is at Wellness Rob. If you want to reach out to him individually, I am at The Soul and Science. And I think that pretty much covers it. Is there anything else that I was missing? You're good. Just big love is the mood. Big love is the mood. How could I forget that? Big love is always the mood. Appreciate y'all for joining us. Thank you and have a wonderful week. Peace out. Hey everyone, Rob here. Really appreciate you listening to our episode. Just real quick, this podcast is for information and inspiration purposes only. Any personal opinions or views do not replace medical advice. Balance and Moderation recommend all listeners embarking on their wellness journey to do so under appropriate supervision by a healthcare provider. Thanks.